growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The accuracy of God's prophecy shows us God's supremacy. Prophecy, it's an exciting subject, and we've seen a lot of it in our current series in the book of Daniel. But today's prophecy is as important as any we've seen and should give followers of Jesus great encouragement as we see God's great plan unfolding. You keep seeing this over and over and over again. God can be trusted. If He can control all these things, all these nations, all those empires that we looked at early on in Daniel and how they came true exactly in the time, exactly as Daniel said they were going to come true. Hey, man, God is so big. God is so strong. God is so powerful. There's nothing God can't do. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As I said a moment ago, we're working our way through the book of Daniel in our series entitled, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. Do I want you to understand the prophecies? Are we going to walk through it? Yeah, I I want you to understand that. But more than anything else, I want you to see God really is. He really is God. Today, we're going to find a prophecy so specific and accurate that it should leave no doubt in anyone's mind as to the greatness of our God. There's nothing God can't handle in my life. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor no, we're jumping into the middle of chapter, but we've already been in the earlier part of chapter 9. We've already been in chapter 10 because they both had to do with prayer. and We spent a couple weeks there. Now, here, we, here we're coming back to verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin... To make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks And 62 weeks, it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations, are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, until one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Father, uh, today, as we look at this section of Daniel 9, the, the, last, the latter part of Daniel 9, uh, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot in there, a lot of talk about weeks and destruction and all kinds of stuff. And we, it's easy to look at it and think, well, I, I don't know what that is, but it, it doesn't apply to me. But I think it does, Father. I think there's specific application for us, uh, even if the prophecy given may not specifically be to us. So would you help us to understand today? I'm asking you, even as Ivy prayed earlier, that that you would open all of our hearts and minds, uh, our spirits to receive the truth of your word. Uh, That's all I I desire 
to communicate. Uh, Father God, these people have way better things to do with their time than just listen to me. Uh, but they have nothing better to do with their time than to listen to you. And so through your word today, uh, would you open our hearts and minds. Uh, may the promise uh, through the prophet Isaiah come true that your word does not return void that it accomplishes its purposes. May you do so in each person's life today. In here in this room today, um, maybe there's a couple struggling with their marriage. Maybe there's uh, somebody in financial trouble. Maybe there's a, a single person that, that, that feels lonely. Maybe there's uh, somebody that's been given a diagnosis that is quite scary. Uh, there's so many things in this world, so many things in this life that can go on. So today, would you meet each person exactly where they are? You can do that, Father. Because you are God, and you have the ability to meet us where we are and take us where you desire for us to be. Uh, May that be the case today. In Christ's strong name, amen. Okay, Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. Let me give you uh, BP squared, what I call BP squared. It's a big picture, biblical principle, an overarching principle that we're going to see from Daniel 9, 24 through 27. The BP squared today looks like this. The accuracy of God's prophecy shows us God's supremacy. If you like to fill in blanks, you can do that. It's on the back of your uh, information sheet. Feel free to do so. But it's the accuracy of God's prophecy shows us God's supremacy. Now, if that sounds, if you've been in this study for a while, and and you're thinking, well, gee, that sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, I'm kind of a broken record about this, especially throughout the book of Daniel. You keep seeing this over and over and over again. That with this principle that we keep finding is that, that God... God can be trusted, that God is the one that if, if he can control all these things, all these nations, all those, uh, all those, uh, those uh, empires that we looked at early on in Daniel and how they came true exactly in the time, exactly as Daniel said they were going to come true, and we see how God's hand moved and how he worked and, and kingdoms rise and fall, and, but through it all we see this plan that God has and we're learning, hey, man, God is so big, God is so strong, God is so powerful, there's nothing God can't do, there's nothing God can't handle in my life, I got a little financial trouble. I think God can handle that. Man, my wife and I aren't connecting exactly on the right levels right now, or maybe we're struggling, that sort of thing. I think God can handle that. That's what I want you guys to get. I want you to understand more than anything else. Do I want you to understand the prophecies? Are we going to walk through it? I even got a chalkboard out today. That's how serious we are about this. We're going old school. Uh, So, yeah, I I want you to understand that. But more than anything else, I want you to see, hey, God really is. He, He really is God. He just, he just, he's just looking, this is good, he's just looking for opportunities to be God in your life. The accuracy of God's prophecy shows us God's supremacy. Okay, let's, let's get into the uh, prophecy here. Let's, let's look at Daniel 9, 24 through 27 as we read it. Now, as we get into Daniel 9, 24, 27, there are, uh, there are three uh, uh, specifics, there are three, what am I, what do I call them, three factors, that's right, three factors that you need to be aware of for a proper interpretation of this prophecy, all right? And these pertain specifically to Daniel chapter 9. It's, you have to think of it in those terms. Three factors for a proper interpretation of the prophecy. The first factor is this. Uh, it pertains specifically to the nation of Israel. So the prophecy that we just read about in 24 through 27 uh, applies to, pertains specifically to the nation of Israel. If you've been in this study with us for a while, you know that, or you may remember me saying all the way back in chapter 7, when we, when we started into chapter 7, uh, I, I said then that from chapter 7 on, all the way through the end of the book, 
the prophecies that are in Daniel, the rest of the second half of Daniel, all deal with the nation of Israel, okay? So keep in mind, as we're looking at this prophecy, it's pertaining specifically to the nation of Israel. Now, it may, it may affect other nations and other countries. It may uh, draw other countries, may use them in some way, but, but the application uh, is specifically uh, to the nation of Israel. The second factor uh, was this. It comes in answer to Daniel's prayer. Now, if you weren't with us, uh, then you need to know that earlier in chapter 9, Daniel had been praying. And Daniel had been praying a prayer of repentance. Some of you remember that? Daniel had been praying a prayer of repentance. Uh, We we looked at that. He was praying it as a result of a prophecy that he had read in the prophet Jeremiah, who, who... was a little earlier than Daniel. They may, they've overlapped slightly, but he was just before Daniel and he had given a prophecy saying, hey, Israel, you're gonna be carried off into captivity, but after 70 years, if you pray, God will hear you. If you pray after 70 years, God's gonna hear your prayer. He's gonna restore you. He's gonna send you back into the land. And so, you know, Daniel's a bright guy and, when, and he reads that prophecy there in Jeremiah and so he gets on his face and he begins to pray this prayer of repentance. God, forgive us, forgive me, forgive the nation of Israel. We have rebelled against you. We have, we have, we have done all these things. And so he's praying. You need to understand that this comes in answer to Daniel's prayer. And so as a result of Daniel's prayer, in, uh, in verse 24, I think, in verse 24, I think it is, um, listed are, are six specific answers, six specific ways that, uh, that his prayer is going to be answered. Six specific actions. First one, the transgression. And, and you know, this is right there in verse 24, so you don't necessarily have to write it down. But uh, the, the transgression is to be finished. Now, more than likely, it probably is referring to the transgression that got them in trouble with God in the first place. And particularly for Israel at that time, they really were struggling with idol worship. Uh, they had begun to adopt, adopt the practices of the people around them. And God had said, listen, don't do this. Don't go down that road. But they had, and so it's, uh, that's one specific application. Transgression is to be finished. Second, an end to be made of sin. Now, that seems to imply all sin, that it will be the end of all uh, sin as a result of this. Remember, Daniel's praying earlier in chapter 9. In, in verse 24, Gabriel begins to give him, give him his answer from God. Third, an atonement for wickedness is to be made. Okay? Now, that just... That tells us something. There's going to be a payment. Atonement basically means a payment. A substitutionary payment is going to be made uh, for, uh, to be made for, for sins. Well, we know it is. Uh, fourth, everlasting righteousness is to be brought in. Fifth, the vision and prophecy are to be sealed up or, or completed or, or finished. Is really is kind of the idea what it means. And then in the sixth one, the most holy is to be uh, anointed. Uh, most Bible students believe that it's referring to the most holy place. Uh, th- that word's not actually in the text, but that it's referring to the, the anointing of, of the temple. Those six specific actions are what Gabriel says in response to Daniel's prayer. Now, if you look at Daniel's prayer and you look at those six specific actions, it's pretty easy to see that Daniel is getting way more than Daniel asked for. 
All Daniel asked for was uh, God, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He says, God, we, we've been in captivity for 70 years. Uh, you know, you're giving us what we deserve. We've been sinning. We've rebelled against you. But God, we repent. We're turning back to you. Now, God, you keep your word. You said your source. Do it, do it for your honor. Do it for your glory. Daniel's praying about the 70 years. Daniel's praying about getting to go back uh, into the land. And clearly, Gabriel gives Daniel way more than he asks for. He begins to talk about everlasting righteousness to be brought in. And, and an atonement, a, a finite, a final atonement being made in all these things. Uh, the most holy place to be, all these kind of things. Daniel is getting more than he asked for. Which, by the way, brings up a great point uh, for us. If we will walk by faith as Daniel did, walk by faith in our daily lives, what I'm talking about. And if we will pray like Daniel did, if we'll seek God's face like Daniel did, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, we can expect to see God move in the exact same way in our lives. We can expect to see God do more than we ever could have imagined or even asked him for. Now, I, I, granted, that's a big if. If we will walk by faith as Daniel did, and, and if you've been in a study, you know what a man of faith Daniel was. And if we will seek his face like Daniel did, and Daniel was a man of prayer. He got on his face. He had, he had the ear of God because, because of of his relationship with God. We've talked all about that. If we will do those things, we can expect to see things, to see the same thing. And when I say expect to see the same things, I'm referring to the idea that we can expect to see God's hand move just as powerfully in our lives, in our situations, in our messes, as Daniel saw them. So, it pertains specifically to the nation of Israel. It comes in answer to Daniel's prayer. Now let's get to the really hard one. Let's get to the third one you need to understand. 70 weeks means 70 groups. Groups or sets or units or something like that. So you need to understand, here's what you need to understand. That uh, the 70 weeks, as it's translated in the New American Standard and the King James, uh, depending on what translation you're using, uh, they use the word weeks. Okay? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all with me? verse, Verse 24 right there at the very beginning. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people. The word... Uh, that's translated in the King James and in the New American Standard, weeks, doesn't mean a literal seven-day week. That's not what it means. Okay? Week does not mean seven-day week. The word, the, he- the Hebrew word, uh, actually uh, simply means seven. That- that's all it means. It's just sevens. A group, a set, a unit of seven. Okay? You with me? Chalkboard time. So... It's a, set, it's a set of seven. It's a week. It's a set of seven. So it would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That would be one set. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That would be another set. Another week. You with me? So Gabriel says to Daniel, 70... Well, let's just read. I think that verse 24 in the New Living Translation I think up here for you, uh, as it puts it, a period of 70 sets of seven has been ordered for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, there's those six items again, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy uh, place. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed, okay? So weeks 
is, is referring prophetically. It means a set of seven. It could be seven minutes. It could be seven hours. It could be seven days or seven weeks or seven months or seven years. Only the context can tell you which it's supposed to be. <laughs> All over the auditorium, there are deer in the headlights looking. <laughs> right? You got it? Right? It's 70. It, if, you did, if you did 70 of these across here, you would have 70 sets of seven. Only the context can tell you what, what, seven what. Because we have the advantage of looking back, all right, at this point, it's pretty easy for us to see, and hopefully I'll be able to describe some of this, it's pretty easy for us to see that the, that the 70 sets or units or groups or whatever uh, is referring to, to uh, 70 groupings of seven years. It's referring to years for a total of 490 years. 70, if I, if, I did, if it took time to do 70 of these all the way across and you counted all of them up, how many would it come up to? 490. See, Ivy's prayer is working already. It would come up to 490 of those. 490, and the context tells us, and we'll see in a minute, the context tells us it's 490 years. So, Gabriel just informed Daniel that, that God's prophetic dealing with the nation of Israel, because remember, that's who it pertains to, that he will deal with them for a total of 490 years. He's not saying that that's, what, that's how much time is left from Daniel's time. We know it's been way more than that. But he's saying, I have a plan, and in my dealing with Israel, I will deal with them for a total of 490 years. Right? So it breaks down like, like this. And, and he says this, and we find this, this the breakdown. Seven, uh, seven weeks, go ahead uh, and bring the next one up. 62 weeks. Yeah, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week. That's... Uh, seven weeks and 62 weeks, I think it's in verse 25, and then one week is in verse 27. Y'all see that in your Bibles? You see that? Gabriel breaks those 70 weeks apart. So if you add up 70, 62, and one, what do you come up with? 70, right. So there's the 70 weeks in verse 24. He said 70 weeks have been decreed for you, then in 25 and on, then he breaks them down. Seven weeks equals then, therefore, 49 years. Do we all understand that? Do we need our calculators out for that? Right? Seven weeks. And what's a week? I have no idea what you just said. But a week is a group of seven, and it's a group of seven years. So seven, seven groups of seven years would be 49 years. This is so easy. 62 weeks equals 434 years, because it would be 434 groups of seven-year time periods. Ashlyn's shaking her head yes. That's a good sign. All right, and then one week, in verse 27, he mentions the one week equals seven years. Now, it's important to understand, folks. It's important to see. Why, why does he break? He just said 70 weeks. Now, he's just broken those 70 weeks down. Why does he break the 70 weeks down? Why is he doing that? All right, it's important to understand that, and we're going uh, to look at it. So, uh, the first period of time was 49 years. This, we're getting, to, get, getting into the first period now. The first period of time was 49 years and was the period of Jewish history where the Jews rebuilt Jerusalem after the city of Babylon. I say it's the period of Jewish history because it is history for us. Do you understand? When Daniel, when Daniel received it from Gabriel, it hadn't happened yet. Right? Y'all need to stand up and stretch. You're with me. Come on, you're doing good. This is important, folks. This is, look at how big God is. Look at how big God is. The first period of time would be 49 years. That's what he said. Seven groups of seven. Seven weeks. And, that, and we know that as we look back historically. By the way, so that's one of the reasons we know it was years. Because nothing happened in 49 weeks. 
Nothing happened in 49 months. Nothing, you understand what I'm saying? In, in the history of Israel, nothing, it, had, it has to be years. Because during that 49-year time period, the Jewish history, that's where the Jews rebuilt Jerusalem after the captivity in Babylon. So, um, uh, Daniel's still alive. He's writing. He's towards the end of his life. Cyrus is on the throne at that time of the, of the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. And Cyrus issues a decree. Now, watch this. It's important. Cyrus issues a decree that, that, uh, that the Israelites can begin to go back to their land. It's been 70 years, just like De- uh, Jeremiah prophesied that he would. And so now Cyrus is all right, you guys can start going back. And he gives them permission to begin to rebuild the temple. But there's no mention, there doesn't seem to be any historical record, no mention that Cyrus gives them permission to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls, or anything else. But he does begin to say, all right, you can start going back. That's why most historians, most uh, biblical students um, do not believe that the decree that's, that's mentioned here, that we're going to look at in just a second, is not referring to Cyrus's, but is instead referring to a decree that came I know you don't care about the date, but I'm nuts about it. So the decree that came in 435 uh, B.C. by the then Persian emperor or, em, or uh, king or whatever you want to call him, Artaxerxes. In 435, uh, I guess it was, Artaxerxes issued a decree. And you can read about it in the book of, it's in the book of Nehemiah. He gave Nehemiah the authority to go back and rebuild the walls and, and to begin to rebuild Jerusalem. But it was, just as it says, where is it? Just as it says, how did I get over there? In verse 25, I think it is. So you know and discern from the issue of the creator story of Jerusalem, it will be built again, Plasmo, even in times of distress. That's exactly what it was for the Israelites when they went back. They go back, Artaxerxes says, all right, you go back and rebuild your city. Well, there were people living in the land at that time that were not happy about that. It's a a long story, but the Assyrians had brought other people in to live in the land, and uh, some of them had intermarried with some of the Jews, and it was all a big mess, but they weren't happy. They weren't happy that that Artaxerxes had given permission for the Jews to go back and reestablish their city. And so uh, there was going to be trouble, and there was trouble. Now, you can read in Nehemiah that it didn't take Nehemiah long to rebuild the walls, at least have some semblance of the walls back up and the gates hung back on their walls. But the rebuilding, the, the total rebuilding of the city took almost half a century, 49 years to rebuild. So God says through Gabriel, stay with me, okay, first, first set grouping of time, seven groups of, of uh, seven years, 49 years, you're going to rebuild the, the city. And that's exactly what happened. So the first grouping, the first period of time, 49 years period of Jewish history where the Jews rebuilt Jerusalem after the captivity in Jerusalem. Let me say this too. Um, when they went back, when the Jews went back, they probably thought at that point, this, or at least this is what I would have thought. Hey, man, God's forgiven us. God's restoring us. Look at how he's laid it on the heart of the king to let us go back into the land. This is awesome. We're going to go back. We're going to make Jerusalem better than it ever was. It's, we're, we're going to be a great kingdom again. We're going to be united. And it, it's, uh, I, I, at least I would have thought that way. I would have thought, look, look how God's blessing us. Look what's happening. God is with us. It's going to be, it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. But guess what? It wasn't. It was hard. It was hard. Do y'all know hard? Do y'all know hard? It was hard. You see, 
Listen, can I say this to you in our lives? Don't make this mistake. Don't make this mistake of thinking, well, you know, I, I, I've come into a relationship with Jesus. I've been redeemed. Man, it's just going to be good from now on. It's, it's going to be a land flow of milk and honey and, and uh, nothing but smooth sailing from here on out. Do not fall into that trap, ladies and gentlemen, because invariably when life smacks you upside the head, as it will, you're going to all of a sudden be saying, well, what, what, what's going on? I thought God was with me. What's with this Jesus stuff? I thought, I thought it was going to be smooth sailing from here on out. God never says that. Why, why do we fall into that? He never says that. As a matter of fact, over and over again you find a scripture where God says, this game is going to be hard. You got, you, got, you got a demonic enemy fighting against you. We talked about him last week. You got a, a world that, that hates righteousness for the most part. You got your own struggles with your flesh. So what in the world makes you think that this is going to be easy? So that's all I'm saying to you. Don't, don't think just because, all right, all right I'm, I'm on God's team now. It's going to be good. It is good, but it's not easy. All right, okay. Second period of breakdown. The second uh, period uh, broken down is this. Is a time, the second period is a time of 483 years, and it was the time from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the time of the Messiah. Now, if your whole church thing is kind of new to you, and you say, What is Messiah? Messiah is basically just a word that means Savior, really. It means, uh, it's literally translated the anointed one, um, it, but it means the Savior. Uh, it, when we refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ, that Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah. Uh, so Jesus is called Jesus, you know, Christ wasn't his last name, it was his, it was his title. He was, he was the anointed one, he was the savior. So, so uh, the second period of time was 483 years, and it was the time from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the time of the Messiah. Now, uh, if you're wondering why is it 483 years, I thought we just looked in at the 62 weeks and that was 432. It was 483 years because it includes... That first period of time, it, he brings that into it. That first period of time, the first seven weeks, and the, the next period of time, the 62 weeks. You with me? Seven weeks and 62 weeks adds up to what? 69 weeks. And the weeks equal, if you add them up, 483 years. Let me show it to you in, in the, the verse where, where he says this. Um, bring me that verse up, Tyler, if you will. Uh, Daniel 9, 20. No one understand, this is in the NIV. No one understand from the time the word goes out, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. There will be seven sevens. How long was that? How, how long? 49 years. That was that first 49 years. It'll be, he says it'll be that period of time and another 62 sevens, which is 430, 434 years. Those two will be together in this second period of time. So it's a total of 483 years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if, if, how, if you're paying attention or not, but if you are, do you realize that God has just stepped out on a big old limb? God has just stuck his neck way out, so to speak. Because this isn't, this isn't some um, kind of uh, generic prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. There are some of those in the Bible as well. But this isn't just some generic, you know, someday the Messiah will come and, and, and do all this stuff. This, I mean, this is specific, folks, because what he says is, mark it down, from the day the decree is issued to restore Jerusalem, 483 years from then, the Messiah will come. Whoa! 
So guess what happens? Guess what happens if 484 years go by and the Messiah doesn't come? Throw it all out. Throw it all. I said, we, we can't trust any of it. If we, if we can't trust all of it. So it's 483 years, what he says, until the Messiah comes. Uh, let me just give you a quote. This is from Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe who says this. When you count 483 solar years from the year 445, that's when Artaxerxes said, go back, rebuild the walls. That's, that's when a city was really kind of considered a city. Um, you end up with 2930, which brings us right to the time of Christ's ministry on earth. Any before that, Jesus can't be the one. Any after that, Jesus can't be the one. But it brings us exactly to the time of Christ's ministry on earth. Amazing accuracy. Impossible accuracy. Impossible. Unless you just happen to be God and you are able to declare and see the the end as easy as you can see the beginning. Nobody, listen to me, nobody could predict 500 years before an event occurred exactly when it was going to occur unless you are God. But that's, that's who we're dealing with here, ladies and gentlemen. That's why this God is so amazing. Because that's exactly what now. Now we, again, we have the advantage of looking back historically. We can look back and we can see how Jesus beautifully and perfectly fulfilled this prophecy. But uh, Gabriel's not finished. God's still giving us more. There's still more to the prophecy. And so let's uh, finish it up in, uh, or, or at least look at some of the rest of it in verse 26. So he says, then, after the 62 sevens, he's just saying, You've got the first part, and then you add in the second part. When you come to the end of that, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. It's just saying at, at, at a given period after he appears, after he's there, after his ministry, he'll be put to death, as the NIV, and will have nothing. Let me just stop there a minute. Think about how mind-blowing this prophecy must have been, not only to Daniel, but to all the faithful people of God through the years. Because if you know anything about Jewish history, you may know that, man, they've been, they've been, they've been waiting for Messiah. Messiah's the one who's going to come. Messiah's going to set everything right. Messiah's going to restore the glory of Israel. Messiah's going to set up their kingdom. Messiah's going to do all of this stuff. And now, God has just said through Gabriel, no sooner will the Messiah get here, but he's going to be killed. Oh, uh, and by the way, and have nothing. You, did you notice that? Historically, we look back, we know the life of Christ. Nothing could be truer. Jesus died with, with, with no physical descendants. The nation of Israel rejected him. He was betrayed by one of his own people. And the, the men who, who swore allegiance to him, the, the men who, who had watched him change water into wine and walk on water and feed 5,000 with a couple of fish and, and, and raise the dead, those very same men turned, abandoning. Listen, do you know Jesus didn't even die with the shirt on his back because the Roman soldiers gambled for that? Oh, by the way, exactly as a prophecy predicted, Psalm 22, I think verse 18, predicted that the Roman soldiers would, would cast lots. They would gamble for the very cloak, the very clothing on Jesus' back. Oh, by the way, that was a thousand years before Christ ever even came around. And that's exactly what happened. He was cut off 
with nothing. See, the Jews didn't understand, and it's maybe today even still people don't understand, that, that it was always God's plan for the Messiah to have to pay the a price, to be the atonement, so that you and I could be redeemed, we could be forgiven, we could be adopted into the family of God as a result of what God did, not as a result of anything that we could try and do. Oh, I sure hope I can be good enough. Forget it. You can't do it. When it comes to trying to redeem ourselves, <laughs> when it comes to trying to redeem ourselves, you and I, and, and I are losers because we can't do it. It's impossible. You see, that, that was the whole point. That's why I love Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. And he says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Listen, can you personalize that verse? Can you? you just stop a minute. Stop worrying about the people around you or looking around. Can you just, he made him who knew no sin. Can you change that into a, into a personal pronoun? To be sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what God did for you. That's what God did for me. The Jews didn't understand that, but God had his plan and God communicated it to Gabriel, who then communicated it to Daniel, and it came to pass exactly as he said. So, all right, let's, let's go on uh, with the verse again. I have no idea where I am in my outline, but let's go back. And the people, watch this, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, God's already nailed it on the whole 483 things, and the Messiah will come, and he did, and he was cut off, and he did. He nailed it time after time again, but God's still given Daniel more than he asked for. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, that had to be future, because the city and the sanctuary would, had already been destroyed. In, in Daniel's time, it wasn't even there anymore. People of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood even to the end. There will be war. Desolations are determined. Real quickly, let's see how I can, how I can get to this. First, let's, let's figure out who uh, the people of the prince who is to come is. The people is referring to the Roman Empire. I'm kind of cutting to the chase on some of these. Be happy to talk to anybody about it. You can do your research and study it. But in Daniel's prophecy, the people of the prince who is to come is referring to Roman Empire. You may remember... Uh, that in chapter 7, we saw that. We saw a connection between the ancient Roman Empire. Remember in chapter 7, you remember the little horn? In chapter 7, the little horn that rises up out of the, out of the ten horns that represents the, the uh, ten-league nation that will rise up out of the Roman Empire. <laughs> Man, it's a lot, isn't it? I'm standing here saying it. It sounds like a lot to me. I know it is, but that's just God. That's just how, how, how perfect God is in everything. He, he can give us all those details. So the people, the prince who is to come equals the Roman Empire. And we know that's exactly what happened. The Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem after, and by the way, notice that this part comes after the Messiah is cut off. Did you see that? It's after the Messiah is cut off. So Jesus is gone, and he says, and then the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. The Romans came in, they, they sieged the city for a while. You can read about it historically, horrific what all the, that the people in Jerusalem uh, went through. But eventually the entire city uh, was destroyed, and that was the end of it. I probably need to, uh, to let you know about this also. Uh, 69 of Israel's 70 weeks prophesied in Daniel were all accomplished by AD 70. Do you see that? The, the, seven, the seven weeks, the, the seven groups of seven, the 49 years, and then the other total 483 years, that makes up 69 of the weeks, folks. 62 and 7 is 69. <laughs> Y'all did have math in school, right? <laughs> 69. 60. So 69 of the 70 weeks. So from our, think about it from our perspective. We're looking back now. 
70, AD 70, how long ago was that? Long time, right? 2,000 years ago or so? So 69 of those 70 weeks that, that Gabriel just told Daniel about in verse 24, 69 of them had already been finished by AD 70. The he, I do need to give you this too because I think it's a blank on your thing. The he in verse 27 is referring to the prince who is to come in verse 26. And the prince who is to come is the Antichrist. That figure that will appear in the last days. Again, he's that little horn. We've already we've talked about that some extensively and I encourage you to look it up. But the he in verse 27, uh, almost all conservative scholarship agrees is the prince who is to come in verse 26, and that is referring to the Antichrist, who will come in the latter times. Which then uh, brings us to the, uh, the third period of time. I don't think I'm giving you that. The third period of time then is seven years, and that seven years is known as the tribulation period. That's what we kind of know it as. Movies have been made about it. Countless books have been written about it. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 4. John describes it in Revelations chapter 6 through 19. It is this tumultuous time this literal seven-year period of time that will come upon the earth in the last days, the final days before Christ returns to establish his kingdom. I know it's warm in here today. They're making up for last week when it was freezing cold. They they keep trying to balance it out on us, I guess. So so the third period of time then is seven years known as the tribulation period, that time. So now let 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 me bring this up and then we'll try and wrap it up. You might be sitting there thinking, well, why is there this big gap Why do you have the first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy, you with me? The first 69 weeks take place in sequential order. In other words, almost immediately after Daniel received that prophecy, pretty close, shortly thereafter, they went into the 49 years, rebuilt the city, all that kind of stuff, and then it went on into the 483 years for the Messiah. But then now it's been 2,000 years since then. Why is there such a big difference between the 69th week and the 70th week? Y'all were wondering that, weren't you? (laughs) Why, why this big gap? The reason is simple, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, who, who is the prophecy for? Israel. Who's it dealing with? Israel. It's in response to, to whose prayer? Daniel. And what's going to happen with the nation of Israel. So the reason there's a gap between the 69th and 70th week is because of what's known as the church age. Ladies and gentlemen, the age that you and I are living in right now. We are in the church age. That period of time after Christ went back to heaven and established this church. The thing that the Old Testament prophets didn't know about. It was a mystery, as Paul says in Ephesians 3. It was a mystery to them. God hadn't revealed that, that he was going to have this period of time where Jew and Gentile, black and white and red all over and young and old and and whatever, could all come together in one place and worship one God and celebrate his greatness and be redeemed by his one atoning sacrifice. It was the church age. Daniel didn't understand. I, I, I doubt seriously Daniel could have understood that. We can look back and say, okay, that's why there's a gap. It's because we're still in the church age. So, which means what? Still got one week to go, don't we? There's still one group of seven, one literal seven-year period that's still to come. And so, in verse 27, I think it is, he says, In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. At the temple, he will set up an abomination, desolation. Let me try and close this really quickly. Um, until the end, that is decreed is poured out on him. So it kind of tells us what happened to the Antichrist. Uh, even Daniel sees that he's, he's going to get his. But in, in, in this seven-year tribulation period, apparently what, what kicks off that final seven-year period, that final week of God dealing with Israel, is a peace treaty. You can read about it right in there. We already read it. This peace treaty that 
the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, will make with the nation of Israel. Got me? He will make a peace treaty with them. That will be an amazing thing. Peace will come to Israel. By the way, have you ever stopped to think about how how amazing it is that this tiny little nation called Israel is constantly in the news, this small little part of the world. You know how big uh, Israel is? Can I, show you, can I show you a map? See that little blue part in there? That's the size of Israel compared to just the United States. I think, I think 435 times larger the United States is than Israel. And yet, day after day after day on CNN and whatever other channel you want to watch, something about Israel is going, something about the controversy in the Middle East, something about this powder keg that it is, and, and uh, ambassadors, and diplomats, and presidents, and world leaders, everybody's tried to bring peace to Israel and to the Middle East, haven't they? Haven't they? Has anybody done it yet? No. For, for, for thousands of years, they've been fighting over this little strip of land. Does that not seem odd to you? Let me tell you why it is. It's because Satan knows That Israel, Jerusalem, is ground zero for God's prophetic ending to this whole thing. He knows it. He's read Daniel. I don't know what what we've done, but he's read Daniel and all the rest of it. And so he's fighting at this thing as hard as he can. I'm of the belief that that Satan's greatest deception has been played upon himself. That he still thinks somehow that he can, can win this thing. He can defeat God. He can do whatever. But as we just saw, it's not going to end well. But anyway, the Antichrist, brings, he brings peace. Somehow he brings peace to the whole mess. I'm of the belief that that's kind of how he gets, that's just me, but I think that's how he gets control of the whole world. I think that he, because, I mean, people are going to say, listen, that dude brought peace to Israel. If he can do that, he can do anything. Let's make that guy president of the world, which is essentially what the Antichrist becomes. But in the end, it comes to nothing. He's destroyed. Christ's return. You can read all that the book of Revelation. We spent a year working there. Those two are tied intricately together. Folks, here's, here's the point. We're back to the BP squared. The accuracy of God's prophecy shows us God's supremacy. Who else would you rather depend on? What else would you rather depend on? And folks, this is not speculation. This is not, this is absolute certainty, accuracy. God said, he said, listen, if it don't happen in 483 years, then call me a liar. And it happened. This is a God that you and I can build our lives on. This is a God that we can trust in. This is a God that we can commit our lives to. If you've never done that, if you're uncertain about where you'll spend eternity or whether you've been forgiven or what it even means to follow Jesus. Again, Paul said to the church in Corinth and to us, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made into the righteousness of God through his sacrifice. You can do that today. You can have that relationship with God. Wherever you are in your, in your walk with God, your relationship with God, whatever struggles you have in your life, the whole mess, just, just like Israel faced a time of distress as they're trying, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to go back. They've repented. They're trying to rebuild the city. They're trying to honor God. And it was hard. I suspect I could pull every one of you alone into a room and, and say, tell me about your life. And within the first 30 seconds, you'd tell me about the hard stuff that's going on right now. Because it's life. Doesn't it make sense to trust in a God and in, and in his word that has already laid out how this thing's going to finish and that he has purposes and plans for your life. 
Well, it's some pretty exciting stuff. Like I said at the beginning of this message today, the prophecy found in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is very specific. As Pastor Clay mentioned in his message today, God was really sticking his neck out by giving a prophecy message so specific as to the coming of the Messiah. But as we learned today, the first 69 prophetic weeks came true exactly as God said they would. We can be assured that the 70th week will also come true just as God said it will. As Pastor Clay put it today in his big picture biblical principle, the accuracy of God's prophecy really does show us God's supremacy. We can trust Him with our lives, knowing that He loves us and wants the best for us. And He has the power to accomplish His perfect plans for all of our lives. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.